Let's dig in. It's time to continue this, this series that is on, on the other-centered love. The word agape in the Greek means other-centered love. Um, I'm not going to recap everything, but I, wanna, I do want to get into a, a short devotional and then a, a one-slide recap. Henry Nouwen writes this. We become what we imagine, and this fits this whole topic of identity that we've been talking about for years What is our identity? Well, let's keep going. When I bring myself into the presence of God, not that you can actually bring yourself into the presence of God, because that's impossible. You're always in the presence of God, objectively, okay? Just just so we're clear, right? It's impossible to be out of the presence of God. You know that, right? Good. Okay. Just in case somebody zooms in and goes, look and see what it says. I don't, whatever. When I bring myself into the presence of God, I imagine him in many ways as a loving father, a supporting sister, a caring mother, a severe teacher, an honest judge, a fellow traveler, an intimate friend, a gentle healer, a challenging leader, a demanding taskmaster. All these personalities create images in my mind that affect not only what I think, but also what I actually experience experience myself. I believe that true prayer makes us into what we imagine. To pray to God leads to becoming like God. The more we come to depend on the images offered to us by those who try to distract us or entertain us, use us for their purposes, and make us conform to the demands of a consumer society, the easier it is for us to lose our identity. These imposed images actually make us into the world that they represent, a world of hatred, violence, lust, greed, manipulations, and oppression. But when we believe that we are created in the image of God himself and come to realize that Christ came to let us reimagine this, then meditation and prayer can lead us to our true identity. I love this. To be able to focus, get our mind off of the distractions, get our minds off of navel gazing, uh, get our minds off of, I'm going through a hard time, oh no, everything's terrible, life's terrible, and get into your little whining spin, the spin cycle of me-ism and attentions and life's all about me, 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 me. When you stop doing that and redirect, you become aware once again of who you are and the one whom you are one with. Really important. So, this other-centered love, the way of peace, what is it? A couple memes I came across that I thought were really good. This one's from Brendan Manning. Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. Since last week we were talking about beloved, um, we will live out what we believe, every one of us. And if you don't believe you're beloved, you're going to act like it. And you're going to start to look like it. I love this from the movie The Shack. You were created to be loved. If you haven't seen this movie, see it. If you don't like movies, read the book. It's better anyway. Although both are good because I like, I like movies. You guys know that by now. Fantastic phrase. And then Mr. Rogers. Got to find a good one from him. I believe that appreciation is a holy thing. What, that when we look for what's best in a person we happen to be with at the moment... We're doing what God does all the time. 
So in loving and appreciating our neighbor, we're participating in something sacred. Something about this phrase reminds me of the purpose of this church. It's not about our programs, it's not about our doctrine, it's not about our statement of faith, blah, blah, blah. Instead, it's about how we love who's in front of us. It really is. I, I got a kick in the butt a couple years ago on that very theme. I won't retell the story right now, but it, it, this, this was good. You know, when we participate in what God is doing, he may be calling you to connect with a particular person in town or out of town, or it's, and it's not, well, it's not called church ministry. That's good. Less church ministry is better because then there's more an authentic work happening through you to wherever you are. Absolutely. Quick recap in the last couple of weeks. God is love. That's the foundation. Not that he has love, but he is love. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. We love because he first loved us. You can't tell people you must love God more and shake your finger like happened to me in my growing up years. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, not quick to get angry, and filled with limited love. No, it says unfailing love. And do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance? Still, that last one, I can't believe how... Uh, in fact, somebody just sent me a video and asked me my opinion of it this past week. So let me know what you think. And I sometimes don't like that because like, oh, I got to watch this video. Now, if it's an hour-long video, I probably won't, and I'll tell them so. But it was a shorter one, and it was a, a person trying to witness to somebody. And the guy was laying on thick. Laying on the guilt, don't you know how much God did for you? And you know you've sinned, right? You know you're a filthy, no good, lousy sinner. Like, what an opening line. Sign me up. Yeah, I'll come to your little booth. Oh, my goodness. Like, it just, it reminded me of my background of how we did evangelism. Beginning with, God loves you and you are separated from him. Well, the gospel's the opposite. God loves you and you are already reconciled. Now believe it. That doesn't sell well in the church world because there's no fear attached to it. Oh, right. Perfect love casts out fear. When there's fear attached to our message, something's wrong. And the more you think about it, the more you realize it, the more you keep seeing this, the repeating this, it starts to purge out all the stuff that isn't true. And that's good. God is love. If God is love, what does it look like within the Trinity? Because we've talked about God is love. Well, what is God? God is a Trinity. Three in one. We've talked about this. I'm not going to do a, a heavy one on, on Trinity today because <laughs> it's a big topic. In fact, I remember one person said, hey, I got a quick question for you. What's the Trinity? Oh, I thought they were kidding. They weren't. I suddenly had to backpedal and re-answer. But it's a big one. The early church, they understood the Trinity using a word perichoresis. And this means circle dance. Peri is perimeter, choresis is choreograph. So it's the circle dance. Now, this is also making me understand the First Nations translation better because they have the similar imagery and who God is. And it's like, okay, this is not new. 
which is beautiful, the circle dance. And we'll talk about that picture in a few minutes. But this whole idea of the circle dance, this picture here was drawn a number of years ago. I have a copy of it up in my office. And it's a, it's a reminder that everyone is included into the dance, into the party. Now, just because you're included doesn't mean you're going to enjoy. See that dude? He don't look happy. It's like, mm. but he's there, okay? Then you have the questioners and the smilers, and look at this one back here, observing quietly. That must be a Baptist because there's dancing going on. Just kidding. Um, but here's Jesus, and by the way, he looks short, doesn't he? Like Jewish people are shorter than we think. And so this is Jesus dancing with children. This is a celebration of the love of God. Now, something you don't know is this boy here is the son of the artist. And the artist here drew himself in. And something happened here that is profound. He had come to understand a sense of God's inclusive love before he drew this picture. And in that time, just after he came to learn about God's inclusive love in a very radical way, his son came out to him as gay. Had he not had that inclusive love revelation, he admitted he would never have received his son warmly. He would have done the traditional rejection, you're not my kid, in the typical horrific way people treat their children. And he included him, put his hand on his shoulder, said, son, you're included. That is a bold statement. I will never forget that. See, there's even room for charismatics. <laughs> but to me, to see the inclusive love of God in this circle dance, this is what the Trinity's about. You and I are included in the Trinity. We're not absent from the Trinity. We're in the Trinity. Remember, Christ holds all things together. Everything is included in Christ, including you and me, all of creation. Whether those who believe or don't believe, they're in. Now, we pray they wake up and, and become aware of this magnificent love that can totally transform their mind and their behaviors and their world. But not everybody's aware of it. They choose the darkness. But if the light that is in them, if that light is darkness to them, oh boy, that's big darkness. That's what Jesus said in Matthew. Trinity. Here's an illusion. What is Trinity? It's always a big question. A physical analogy through an imperfect, though an imperfect one, might help us understand. This is from a guy named Bill Quinn a number of years ago. There is but one pure light and that is white light. But white light can be broken down into three primary colors, red, green, and blue. Each one of the three primary colors does not exist apart from the other primary colors. They are included within one light, which is white. There is but one complete light that we call white light, but this light contains three distinct but not separate primary colors. The above explanation gives us an essential basis of the Trinity, which provides the perspective to understand who or what Jesus was before he became human flesh. Once we understand the relationship that has always existed within the one God, we can proceed to answer the question of who Jesus was before his incarnation and physical birth. 
this makes a difference. Because some people are trying to figure out who, what's Trinity? You know, the word's not even in the Bible. That's right. There's a lot of stuff not in the Bible. The Bible is not the complete revelation of God, people. It's, it's not. All right? If that's a shocker to you, oh boy. How'd you find this channel? <laughs> it is this Trinity that has given us everything we need. And this is where we ended last week. We have already been given everything. Remember my watch story? I took care of my watch, or I, I do now because now I know its value. I know what it's worth, and I did get a new band. I did get it cleaned up. <laughs> I did actually bend it, and I ended up giving it back to the original person who gave it to me who then fixed the little bent stuff inside. He repaired it fully. Like More grace has happened with that watch than I ever thought, but when you know your value, when you know your identity, when your true value is believed, it changes everything. <coughs> Ephesians 1.3 in the Passion Translation says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful Heavenly Father. That's a lot of expressive language. Did you catch that? It's trying to make a point it doesn't say some or a few or, you know, God doles out spiritual gifts. So, you know, you get some here, you get some there. Or the, it's not like the Oprah Winfrey. Some for you, some for you. Everybody gets the free, you know, that dumb meme. Okay. Either way, here God does give everybody everything that's required. You have already been given everything in the heavenly realm. So when we ask God for more, what are we asking for more of? If you say, please give me more patience, then you are praying a lack of faith prayer. You're praying from a place of belief that says, I lack something. That should tell you something. If we pray from a disbelief, then what kind of prayer is that? But instead, if we can acknowledge, God, I know you've given me a storehouse of patience, but it ain't coming out right now. So a little help. See, that, that's an authentic prayer. <laughs> I, I pray that one a lot. So, but this whole idea of everything's been lavished, not just a little bit, but lavished. Do you see the, the bigness of this? The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, all because, and by the way, this is how God sees us. And I would rather take God's opinion of how God perceives us and use that as the foundation, not how we think. Because he sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate him with all of our hearts. This is a big one for anybody having self-doubt, having ego issues, having a moment of navel-gazing, all that stuff, feeling depressed. Let's focus on this. Again, when I use that word depressed, I'm using it in a very simple sense, not in a psychological, chemical sense. Ephesians 1, 16 to 19 says, The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. We touched on this last week. To pray for revelation is bigger than asking for more of something. Revelation is an awakening, an awareness, an alertness or attention to seeing something you hadn't seen before. Once something's revealed, it can't really be unrevealed it can be forgotten. We found that out. 
but may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, uh, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. Try praying that sometime. If you go through that real slow, you're going to go, oh boy, that's big. There's a lot here. Let's read it from the First Nations translation. I love how this is said. I pray the Father of honor and beauty, who is the great spirit of our honored chief creator sets free Jesus, will gift you with a spirit of wisdom to know him deeply and understand his mysterious ways. I'm asking him to shine his light into your hearts so you can clearly see the hope he has chosen for us for the beautiful treasure he, he has in us, his holy people, I pray he will show you much greater his power is for all who put their trust in him. We're not praying for something to come to us. We're praying that what is already there, we can begin to see, open the eyes of our heart. If you've grown up in church long enough, we've sang that song a lot, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. You know, it's actually true. Sure, sometimes you have to edit a word or two in some of the songs, but they're redeemable mostly. That's okay, mostly. (laughs) That's okay. There might be somebody in the room they haven't haven't seen through your lens and still means a lot to them, so be careful that you don't, uh, you know, put sandpaper in somebody's beautiful diamond when it's not your job. This is beautiful. I love this. Colossians 2, 9 to 10, it says in the New Living Translation, so you also are complete through your union with Christ. Okay, this is bold. What's this word? What, do, what does complete mean? <laughs> is it obvious? It's complete. Okay, how many of you bought a, a puzzle at a garage sale and the people say, oh yeah, it's all there, get home, It's not! Or even worse, you buy a Lego set. And one piece is missing, and it's my kids will find out. They they know all the pieces. It's not complete. It's really awkward when you buy a table with four legs, and they say all four legs are there, and they're not. But anyway, the idea of complete. You are complete. Every one of us. You may not be aware of all the levels of completeness in you. You may not understand all the language of completeness in you. Children at a young age, you don't teach them trigonometry in grade one. Heck, you don't even teach them cursive writing until what, grade three is it? Something like that, if they still do that. Yeah, who knows, yeah, see? Like, all of who they are is in them. But sometimes it has to be drawn out, and sometimes it takes external experiences to reveal that light. That's the New Living. The New American Standard Bible says, in him you have been made complete. This is past tense. So to pray, dear God, please complete me, uh, no, you are. 
I love this in the First Nations. He is the one above all other powers and forces, and you have been made complete in him. Then the Passion Translation says, for he is the complete fullness of deity living in human form, and our own completeness is now found in him. I love this the best. We are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows within us. He's the head of every kingdom and authority in the universe. Lastly, from the Mirror Translation, Oop, maybe not. Maybe I didn't. Okay, that's fine. When we don't believe we are complete, we resort to works. And we try and help that, we try out to help us make us more complete. And if, if um, again, I did this in my church background. You're supposed to go to church every Sunday. In fact, my background, I had to go Sunday mornings for, for English service at 9, Sunday school at 10, German at 11. My dad was a counter, so we had to stay till 1, rush back, fight in the car, have dinner, and, and have a quick nap, and then start Wonderful World of Disney at 6. Could never finish it because we had to be at church for 7, and then go to church at night. Like, what? What's that? And then we had boys brigade on Monday night, and then Wednesday night we had church, and then the bowl, but I had to stay longer because it was a choir practice, and I had to stay. Like, seriously, this is like exhausting church, and then they maybe go to German school on Saturday mornings. Anyway, <clears throat> I don't have issues. <laughs> there was a lot of church, but I was groomed to believe that my presence and my doing mattered for God's acceptance, and I carried that over to the Pentecostal church that I went to later, which then I carried over into church ministry as a pastor, in the early years especially, Doing, 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 grow the church, grow the church, um, all that stuff to, not to get God to like me so much, I, I didn't put in those words, but there was an underlying essence there. I just didn't know. And we even did fasting and praying. We had prayer nights, we had fasting weeks. In fact, fasting, I think that's what's up here. Yes, fasting was one of the ways. And it, most people refer to the book of Daniel. And say, well, let's, Daniel fasted, and so, oh, then we got to fast because it's biblical. Listen, just because something's biblical doesn't make it Christ-like. Just think about that because there's a whole bunch of illustrations. I'm not going to get into that one today. But they refer to Daniel as a model for fasting to try and get God to hear you. That's what I grew up believing. And I taught fasting was a way to still yourself and get God to hear you because now he sees you're serious. And oh, he really loves serious people. That's why when we're told people to pray, they're supposed to do it at five in the morning. The more holy you are, the earlier you do it. And then there's a competition between the saints. I did it for an hour. I did an hour and a half. I did two hours a day. Oh my goodness. Like, it's just ridiculous. But I think it's time for the Isaiah fast. Do you want this agape, this fullness, this completeness to be living out of you? I found something in the Old Covenant that kind of gives us a picture of what it looks like. Isaiah 58, verses 6 to 9. Brace yourself, this is good. No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. 
Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I'm here. And he will quickly reply, remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. This is old covenant. Now, if you try to make that valid for today, then there's a, uh, if you do this, then I'll do this attitude that comes in. But that's, that's not what we just finished reading in, in the New Testament. This is a beautiful picture of what grace looks like, what love lived out looks like. From the message translation, I love this. This is the kind of fast, fast day I'm after. To break the chains of injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, and cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The, Lord, the God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and he'll say, ha, here I am. The good news today is we have it already. It isn't a conditional prayer. If you do this, then God will hear you. That's how they saw it. That's how they believed it. That's why it's written that way. But we know now Christ lives in us and always hears us. It's the fruit of love. It's the evidence of agape, other-centered love being lived out. Is it our effort? Or how, how does this work? Well, it's pretty simple. 2 Corinthians 5. It's the love of God that controls us. Now, I'm going to show you from a number of translations because this is, this is important. The NASB says the love of God controls us. That's the typical language we've heard. You know, God's in control. I think we need to put a spotlight on that word because it's, it's not quite the right word or our definition of that word needs some work. New Living Translation says, either way, Christ's love controls. The NRSVA says, for the love of Christ urges us on. I love that. Now it's getting closer to the actual language. And then from the Mirror Translation, it says, Christ's love has moved me to, to such extremes. His love has the first and last word in everything we do. Sorry, that's the message. The mirror says, the love of Christ resonates within us and leaves us with only one conclusion. Jesus died mankind's death. Therefore, in God's logic, every individual simultaneously died. This whole idea of what moves you, if you say, well, Christ controls us, that's almost like then you're waiting for this zap. It's like beam me up, Scotty, on the Enterprise. Somebody hits a button, and then somebody else is doing that, and you're just reacting, and you're getting kind of pulled. Or tractor beam in those sci-fi movies, you know, brings the machine in closer. Or magnetic pull. But that's not what's going on here. It's not the control of me, God, you human, now do. And 
It doesn't, that doesn't happen. This is more gracious. This is more relational. It's God who does the urging from within, creating the desire in us, resonating. What's another word for resonate? Anyone? You're allowed to talk. Another word about, okay, how else would you resonate? Music? Does music play with that? Certain instruments? The resonant sound, vibration. So when the God of love in us is creating a, a sense or an urge of something to be done, as in be kind to that person, you know, or however it happens, that's God in us speaking to us. He's the source of the inspiration. My encouragement would be don't wait for the blind side here, go do. Instead, have your antenna up and be waiting, anticipating daily. What's God going to do today? How can I participate with him in loving somebody who needs a moment of love? In fact, it just might save their life today. But that requires you to be attentive. It's beautiful. First Nations version says it like this. The love shown to us by the chosen one has taken hold of our hearts because we know that if one has died for all human beings, then all of us died. He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died and rose for them. So from now on, we will no longer look at others through weak human eyes. Even though we used to see the chosen one in this way, that is not how we see him now. New creation. I am saying that anyone who has been joined together with the chosen one is now part of the new creation. For the chosen one, the old creation has faded away and the new creation has come into being. It is the great spirit himself who has done all of this, not us. Through the chosen one, creator has removed the hostility between the human beings and himself, bringing all creation into harmony once again. Past tense, bringing all creation. <laughs> the great spirit has chosen us to represent him in the sacred task of helping others find and walk this path of peacemaking and healing, turning enemies into friends. The great spirit was not holding people's broken ways against them. Instead, he was working in chosen one to bring all people back into harmony with himself. He has now given us the honor of bringing this message to others. So now, we represent the chosen one. It is as if creator is speaking through us calling out for all people to walk the path of being restored back to the great spirit. Creator sets free Jesus, the one who knew no broken ways, was chosen by the great spirit to bear our broken ways so that we would become the ones who represent his right ways. Now, if you read some of that in a traditional translation, it says, we're not to see anybody after the flesh anymore. And that, that, that makes sense. We're not supposed to see each other after our behaviors, externals, all of our flaws. We're to see each other after spirit. 
And that's really hard to do sometimes, especially when the outward expressions can sometimes be so painful. But this just worded it in such a beautiful way. Christ has done this while we were still blind. I used to think um, the church didn't understand a few words well, and one of the big ones was forgiveness or whatever. But I have a funny feeling there's a three-letter word in this text that the church does not understand very well. It's called all. The word all. <laughs> well, it doesn't really mean all. Yeah, it does. Last time I went to school, all is all. It's a, it, it has implications. So maybe pray for the spirit of wisdom to give you revelation, to know God better. Sometimes we pray for God to, to tell us how to understand this theological category. Maybe that's just a distraction. Surrender that prayer, put it on the back burner and say, Heavenly Father, what is it that I need to learn about you right now? Instead of gearing up for a fight because I'm going to have a theological discussion with somebody later and i got to have the right answers to be more right than they are. That's so unloving. Not that I've ever done that. God is love. God is life. God is light. So, be loved, beloved. You are the beloved of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, will you draw our hearts towards you this week? Surprise us. (laughs) So we can give you credit and thank you that you've given us evidence that you are working in our hearts. And when we're so distracted and, and are unaware that you are attempting to get our attention, be gentle and Don't give up on us. I know you won't, but we need your spirit to speak to us, to remind us that we're loved, that we're beloved, and the people we are with are also loved and beloved. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.